Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are and whenever this may find you. Welcome to the Did You Know Crypto Podcast. I'm Dustin. I'll be your host. And this week's episode, actually, I had a guest planned, and unfortunately, she uh, had to drop out at the last minute, and then I had another person lined up, and um, one or both of us messed up on our on our time zone differences. Uh, so I decided I wanted to talk about something today uh, that I've been pondering over for a little while here, that being Bitcoin as freedom. But before we actually get into the meat of this topic, I want to talk about a very, very special sponsor, eToro. Now, eToro is my very first official sponsor, and I have had people approach me in the past um, and there's been a couple of reasons why I have not had a sponsor before. Um, one of the reasons is that I will not allow any sponsor on this podcast that I haven't personally used and have, you know, basically when someone, a lot of podcasters don't quite realize this, but when you are talking about a sponsor, when you're taking money from a sponsor, but more importantly, when you are telling your listeners about a company, a product, whatever, you are essentially vouching for them. Um, you're vouching for that product to your listeners. You are leveraging the trust that you have gained and you are using that uh, for that sponsor, for that product, whatever, uh, and you're leveraging that to, to, uh, to your listeners. And if that product ends up being junk, if you're just using it, you know, trying to grab some quick money real quick, you know, because there are people that come out there and go, hey, well, you know, we'll throw money at you if you just talk about this or that thing. And it's not to me, it's not worth it. It's not worth your brand to talk about something, promote something that ends up that's that's just junk. Right. To me, I'm in this for the long haul. I do not want to be known as the guy who, you know hawked you know bit connect or whatever these are the types of things that severely damage a brand it's really hard and there's still these guys out there you see still see some of these people hawk some of these junk terrible products uh on their subscribers and fans and are still out there but you can see i mean, I, I don't know how anybody still listens to them but hey you know teach their own uh, uh buyer beware but Long story short, I'm never going to have anything that I promote on this podcast that I don't personally vouch for. So I am vouching for eToro. I did uh, a bunch of research. They had not been available in the United States, so I hadn't actually done you know a massive amount of research uh, on them. Or I should say I hadn't really played around with them that much. I knew who they were and I'd, I'd read about them. But I actually hadn't uh, used them before because they just weren't available in the United States. Now they are. They are innovative, they are trustworthy, they have been operating longer than Bitcoin's been around. This is not a crypto Bitcoin exchange that popped up, you know, in 2013, 2015, 2017. They have been around since, I believe, 2006, so they predate Bitcoin by, by quite a few years. They offer some very, very cool, innovative uh, products such as a virtual portfolio. So the reason I like this is that, as I've told you guys, I, I traded a little bit in 2017 
and I thought I was good. And I realized as the bear market set in that I was not as good as I thought. And I was not passionate about trading, but I have nothing against it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And if you take the time and you like it and you want to be better at it, uh, it's a great way to earn more Bitcoin, right? It's a good way to turn one Bitcoin into two Bitcoin, into five Bitcoin, into 20 Bitcoin, right? So I think it's a it's a it's a great way to to earn more Bitcoin. But if you're going to do this, you want to make sure that you get the training, that you put in the time, that you put in the effort. But it's kind of hard sometimes to try out these strategies. You go, okay, well, I'm reading about you know all these different types of things, these spinning dojis and hammer do you all all this kinds of you know inside trading kind of um, strategies and and things to look for. And you go, well, you know maybe I should do this. Well, the the virtual portfolio allows you to basically take $100,000 or whatever you want, and you can uh, practice your strategies. You can take, you know, 100 grand and invest it based, you know, on Bitcoin and and whatever other assets that you're looking at. You can practice strategies and see how they work out over a period of time to see if, if it makes any sense for you to actually use it with your real money. I think that's really cool. They have copy trading, which is coming very soon, which allows you to actually copy uh, traders, other traders, um, through what they're calling uh, basically social trading. It's kind of like a social network for traders. So you can look at all different kinds of traders. You can locate them through their search tool, filter results, and you can look at their gains, their risk score, their location, many other different types of things. And you can um, see who it kind of fits your your risk strategy and you can actually copy them. Right now you can actually see these, these folks, whether they're investing in traditional or uh, cryptocurrencies, and you can kind of see the way that they're strategizing. You can watch them over the long term to see if it's somebody that's valuable. Um, they have popular investor programs, all this kind of stuff. It's really, really cool. I think that eToro is a great way to buy and sell Bitcoin. And if you could go to didyouknowcrypto.com slash eToro, that's did you know, as in did you know, crypto.com slash E-T-O-R-O. Just go to didyouknowcrypto.com slash eToro. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is because that's how they know that you came through my link, right? If you just go to etoro.com, they're not going to know. And it, it uh, you know, I'm glad that you're visiting the sponsor, but they won't know that it's coming for this podcast. So I'd really appreciate it if you went to digiknowcrypto.com slash etoro, gave them some love, sign up today, try it out. At the very least, you know, just uh, buy a little bit of Bitcoin there, uh, practice with the virtual portfolio and just, uh, and, and just learn and, and earn more Bitcoin over the long haul. We want to get more Satoshis every single day, every single year, every day into the future. So go to didyouknowcrypto.com slash eToro. And the last thing I'll ask you to do is go over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. That's a huge, huge help. Uh, I really appreciate all the people that have left five-star ratings, all the people have left a written review. That really helps with people finding the podcast when they search for like Bitcoin podcasts and things like that. So... Without further ado, kind of let's get into the actual episode now that we're about seven minutes in and I haven't really talked that much about what I, the main topic of the day. So Bitcoin as freedom. I think that this is a very important aspect of Bitcoin. It it's kind of seems like it's you know, kind of a given, right? This idea of financial sovereignty, right? So you hold your private keys and no one can 
prevent you from using that Bitcoin. I mean, that's one of the things that attracted me to Bitcoin in the first place was this concept of, of, because uh, I, I was in a mindset of holding physical gold, uh, physical silver at the time, and thinking that that was a great way to secure your individual financial sovereignty. That if you ever, you know, needed to, you could have that gold coin in your pocket. You could go to a different country. You could take that gold coin out. You could trade that for the local currency or whatever. But that has a lot of limitations, and we're not really going to go into that per se. And the one of the things that caught you know, kind of clicked in my head was the, uh, I guess this is about the time that Trezor was uh, really hitting the markets. And one of the podcasters that I was listening to talked about how the fact that, and, and this was a non-Bitcoin, they didn't really have Bitcoin podcasts back in those days, was that you could memorize your mnemonic key. That is your 24, uh, uh, it's just 24 letter uh, um, uh, words you know, like river, dance, fish, whatever, whatever those 24 words are. You, you memorize those and you can hop on a plane, go somewhere else. You can get out your tracer. You can use those 24 keys and you can just basically have all your Bitcoin. You don't even actually have to carry the hardware wallet with you. You just need to memorize this mnemonic device and you can carry that Bitcoin to wherever you want to go. And that really clicked with me, this idea of financial sovereignty, that a Bitcoin as money, right? But Bitcoin is more than just money. I mean, the financial sovereignty aspect of it is uh, a, a application, as Vin Armani would say, of Bitcoin. Like the money is an application of Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is is so much more. And its implications for the future, I think, are so much bigger than than just money, although that, that's a huge thing, right? I mean, we talk about, or detractors will talk about Bitcoin fluctuating, right? It was 3,500, what, a few months back, and now it's been up to 15,000, now back down, it's hovering around nine to 10,000 uh, at time of recording, which is the 26th of July, 2019. And they talk about the fluctuations, and yeah, it, it does fluctuate. I mean, the, the, the idea of, you know, that, that's what makes it a difficulty of, of spending it, right? Of taking, you know, going, oh, I owe this guy $30. I'm just going to send it to a Bitcoin, do a low uh, transaction or a mining fee to, so that it's, it's not, you know, o o uh, overly expensive to send. Um, and, you know, but if it reaches him later on or the, the mining fee is low enough where maybe it sits a day in the mempool, you know, it could be 20% less than when you sent it, right? So that is a problem. Um, or I should say that is a, a temporary issue with Bitcoin because it's in price discovery mode right now. We don't know what Bitcoin's ultimate price is, where it will basically kind of settle in similar to the way that, you know, gold does or any other kind of commodity money that Bitcoin, it, where, where gold sits at, gold, it does fluctuate. I remember uh, silver because I used to I I would dollar cost average buy silver over quite a few years and I remember at one point it was about forty dollars an ounce at some point in 2011. Uh, so that was before we moved. So that that would have been. Um, 
that probably would have been like I think fall of 2011 or so. Anyways, it was about forty dollars an ounce for silver, and uh, that was the peak, and that was kind of like the post, the post 2011 recession peak uh, of, and it dumped all the way down. And then there's also been a lot of stuff with J.P. Morgan manipulating um, silver prices and things like that, which they talk about uh, there being malfeasance and 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 the actors within Bitcoin. But then you look at, as Ben Hunt would say, the raccoons in the traditional market, those those bad actors, um, and you know they're being fined more than Bitcoin's market cap. So when when we're talking about these these sorts of um, you know, bad actors like he, I, I, I don't see that really as being uh, any different than any kind of when money's involved, you're always going to have people who are going to try to get over on other people. That just is always going to happen. But Bitcoin's in the price discovery mode and then silver's now back down to I don't even know what it is today. It's I, I think it's it's probably yeah, let's look here. Silver spot price today. It is OK, 1649. Um, so that's. That's you know not not uh, not not too bad. So sixteen forty nine, I think. I think a lot of my averages were around fifteen to seventeen dollars back in the day. But anyways, that's that's neither here nor there. And what what I mean by big by price discovery is that any commodity is going to have ups and downs. And and you look at I mean like silver is now down from its peak uh, eight years ago. Um, it's still down over fifty percent, but nobody's going. Oh well, silver obviously. It's it's it, you know it, it's it's still down fifty percent from its you know from its peak. It's just junk money. Blah blah blah. I mean, no one no one would say that. Um, no one would say that silver has no place. No one would say anything like that. But because Bitcoin is actually over fifty percent of where its all time high was just uh, less than two years ago, it. You know, but whatever. My point is not where things are at now versus where they were. Is that Bitcoin is in a price discovery, and we don't know where that's gonna that's gonna end up. But eventually, it, it will find some equilibrium. Is that at ten thousand? Is that at a hundred thousand? Is that at a million? Is that ten million? I don't think it's ten million, but anyways, you know, we don't know where that price is, and wherever that is, that that's where the argument. The, the concept of, well, Bitcoin can't be uh, offer financial sovereignty because it's so um, it, it, it's it, it has so, such wild swings is not an argument. It's an argument if you're saying I want financial sovereignty for a year or two. It offers financial sovereignty because at the end of the day, I'm sorry, I use that term. I hate that. <laughs> you can take that Bitcoin and you can send it. Now there are lists of uh, OFAC now, which is a list of basically banned accounts. So you can't take a wire transfer from Bank of America or any European bank or pretty much any World Bank um, that particip that participates in what would be called uh, civilized finance. And you cannot send it to someone uh, who's in, let's just say, the Iranian government or specific individuals in the Chinese government or whatever that are on a kind of a banned list, right? They're persona non grata in in the world financial. And, and a lot of them, I, I would probably agree, you know, someone like al-Baghdadi of ISIS. I don't think that they should um, 
or I, I don't think that's a good idea for people to be able to, to send them money. Um, whether or not, when we talk about philosophically, whether or not it's, it's uh, any individual should be censored uh, from, from any of this is a different, different question. Uh, but what Bitcoin does is Bitcoin is apolitical. Uh, Bitcoin is beyond politics. Bitcoin does not care, as we often say, or as a lot of people in Bitcoin say. Bitcoin doesn't care. Bitcoin doesn't fill in the blank, right? So Bitcoin does not make moral judgments. Bitcoin is neutral. When you, when a transaction is sent, uh, when UTXOs, unspent transaction outputs, for for listeners that are that are not as um, well versed, let's just say, if you send from one wallet to another wallet, right? If you send unspent transaction outputs from one um, address to another address, which is kind of generalizing how this works. Bitcoin does not care. The network does not care that where that Bitcoin, where those, where those Satoshis came from and where they're going. All that they care about is that the person who signed that transaction actually had the private keys to those unspent, unspent transaction outputs to that Bitcoin. If you have the private key that allows you to send it, the network will recognize it. Depending on what mining fee you have set will determine when it gets accepted, all those sorts of things. The network cares about very little. It does not make moral judgments. All that it cares about is that you obey the laws, obey the rules of the network. If you try to double spend, Bitcoin makes a judgment and says no. If you try to do, as long as you are abiding by the rules, and there's very few of them of the network, Bitcoin makes no judgments on it. Bitcoin itself embodies not just financial sovereignty. It also embodies freedom of speech, right? Your ability to, I mean, you could even say literal words because you could, you could put messages in a transaction, but more importantly, that money is in, in the ability to fund or send, you know, send value to another person is speech in itself and the most important form of speech. I would argue if you think that there's a dissident, let's say in China who is, or Hong Kong, right? Which is under Chinese control, although there's some special rules, but right now the, the pro-democracy uh, demonstrators right now, let's just say, then uh, probably a lot of them are, are that their organizations are probably blocked from receiving um, foreign donations and things like that. If they have a Bitcoin wallet address that they post, you can send Bitcoin to them. Nobody can stop you. Nobody can stop them from receiving it. And nobody can stop them from finding somebody that's willing to take that in exchange for goods and services that they need or to trade it for local currency to then get the goods and services that they need, whatever. Nobody can stop that. These are the applications of Bitcoin. And they're, they're beyond money. I think one of the most important applications of Bitcoin is the this concept of This concept of freeing the mind. 
Because what Bitcoin did was that Bitcoin broke that part of our minds that thought that the ability to have decentralized governance and a decentralized financial system was impossible. It broke that. I was just trying to look up. I, I paused for a second and I was trying to look up the exact term. I'd appreciate if anybody, if you know what this is, please feel free to DM me on Twitter or send me an email or whatever. I'd really appreciate it because I can't, I can't come across it. I was just reading an article not too long ago where they were talking about the 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 psychological concept that w when someone does something that was previously thought impossible you start to see a bunch of people being able to do it so right the i believe the example was the 1080 it's when you do three consecutive spins um on, on a snowboard so you go on the on the half pipe which looks like a half a circle and you basically gain momentum and then you go up one side and then you spin three times come back down. So it was previously thought to be impossible. I don't know who the first person to do it was. So I apologize whoever that individual is. But it was one of those things that everybody thought, you know, oh, well, that just can't be done. And then somebody did it. And after that, a bunch of people started doing it. It doesn't mean that it's easy, right? It's if it was simple, everybody would be doing it constantly and that would become the baseline. But what it did was it broke these these mental, these societal you know, and now with with the internet and the ability to transmit information, you know, near instantly, you know, the, it, worldwide mental barriers of what is possible and what is impossible, right? Because this flows right in with Arthur Arthur C. Clarke's um, third third of his three laws, famous three laws that uh, any sufficient. Uh, advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So when we, if we go back far enough, anything that we have now um, on, if you go back far enough would be considered magic. If you go to somebody from the mid 1800s and you were able to throw on, you know, it, it's really not that expensive. Any basic, uh, you know, I'm, well, I'm not saying anybody, you know, whatever. Right. But for basically under a thousand bucks, you can get a, uh, a Samsung, um, S8 with a VR goggle set and it's not anything special to most of us uh, just from what we're used to now but you take that to eight, somebody in the 1800s they are, they are not going to understand that that is not some sort of you know magic or some sort of witchcraft or whatever depends on how far back you go right so all these sorts of things that we live today would be considered magic a long time ago a lot of these things that we live as normalcy today would have been considered impossible. The idea that, you know, not to belittle other, you know, people in Western countries that are, you know, having hard times that, you know, they, they're at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum. Uh, you know, they're the blue collar workers or whatever, not belittling your plight. And, and if you've fallen on hard times or anything like that, but when, if you compare the kind of amenities that you have now to someone who 100, 150 years ago, it would have seemed impossible that even the poorest of, of people in this country would have access to indoor plumbing, would have access to uh, a, 
somewhat basis of medical care. Now we can argue about what what basis and and basic medical care actually means, but the but the idea of uh, if if you got shot that you could go and have X-rays and all this other kind of stuff done in an emergency room would be, would have been considered impossible, and a lot of that magic as well. Uh, you know things like the ability to travel hundreds of miles in one day and it not really being that big of a deal. You can get into something that costs less than a, a, a couple thousand dollars and, you know, you know, with a, with, with a, like a Toyota Yaris, you, you can have with, with probably about 50 to a hundred dollars, um, which would probably be, uh, you know, two, three, four days wage. You could travel a couple hundred miles in a day Someone that was used to horseback or, you know, riding in a wagon. The, the idea of going a couple hundred miles in a day for, for you know, a handful of days wages for fuel would have, would have seemed impossible, right? So now we have these, you know, for us, it's not impossible. For us, it's quite normal. So what Bitcoin did and is continuing to do as it, and I know it sounds very woo-woo to, to some people, but as it reveals new things to us, new possibilities, new applications of itself, it is breaking mental barriers in society. And that's what excites me the most. That's what keeps me interested, right? Because if Bitcoin was merely... Not merely. I mean, because this is this is huge, right? The concept of of a decentralized money that's not controlled by anybody. The idea that what uh, going back to volatility in Bitcoin. I mean, a, a sentence, a few words from one man, the Federal Reserve Chair, can send world markets reeling. Excuse me. It can send it reeling. You can see, you know, a couple hundred point, five hundred point drop in a day based on what one person says. A few words. And we're talking about Bitcoin's volatility. We're talking about, you know, oh, well, you know, the, the miners could, could manipulate. No, no one's manipulating Bitcoin the way that world financial markets are, are manipulated in the, you know, in these times with central banks. Everyone who is in Bitcoin is a moral player in that they are abiding by the rules of the network. Anyone who doesn't abide by the rules of the network can't operate on the network. It's the most fair system all of all. There's no, there's no nuance. There's no subjectivity. There's no... Well, you know, you know, this guy was a friend with this guy and he went to Yale with him. So he got his son in and he was able to manipulate the network. No, there's none of that. Bitcoin does not care about your connections, does not care about your family origins. It does not care about how many senators, senators your dad knows. It doesn't care if you grew up dirt poor or if you grew up the richest person in the country. All it cares about is if you abide by the rules. So when, when I, the, the, the financial part is extremely important, extremely important. But what keeps me interested is that the way that we are finding new applications that are being continually revealed, right? 
that we're finding. Oh, you know, like, and not necessarily Bitcoin as a application or as a as a network, but just the the mental barriers that what it can do breaks in our minds. The ability for, you know, you're seeing, you know, communities able to operate unto themselves if they want to, using nothing but Bitcoin if they want to. I think that Bitcoin. Um, is going to be looked back on. And it's the reason that I have been, continue to be involved in it, like I said, is is because I think that it is going to be looked back on in, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years as just being this um, major turning point in history. I think that uh, we are at a fulcrum in history. Bitcoin is a major part of that, but not the only part. I mean, every generation always thinks that they're the, you know, that they're special and no other generation has had, you know, this occurring, right? And there's been some that have been like that, right? Probably the generation saw the Industrial Revolution, you know, the generations that that saw, you know, major cities being, you know, built in the Fertile Crescent. Um, the the proliferation of the written word via the Gutenberg uh, printing press, you know, the enlightenment period, these sorts of things. But I think that Bitcoin represents one of the major parts of this fulcrum in history that we find ourselves in. We're at the turning point of realizing artificial intelligence, of automation, all these sorts of things. It's this, it's this conflagration of, I don't know if probably I'm dating myself a bit, but like the perfect storm of all these rapid technological advances. And we are going to look back in generations and a hundred years are going to look back and go like, wow, how could these people not realize what was going on and where things were going to go from there? I mean, we do when we look back at, you know, um, these old newspaper articles. I love reading these where the, we read about, um, there's opinion letters in the newspaper worrying that kids were reading books too many books that they weren't taking time to look around at nature because they had their heads in a book, right? Or that, you know, kids were um, taking, you know, they, they were taking too much time, you know, whatever. There's always these concerns and, and these things and you go like, well, no, that, that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I mean, literacy is a great thing. I mean, when you look back at, at uh, the Luddites who are trying to smash, um, who wanted to smash the machines of the industrial revolution and have there been, have there been negative aspects of it? Yeah. There's never, there's always trade-offs. There's always a trade-off. There's, there's nothing, there's no advancement technological or otherwise that is not going to have a yin to the yang. You're always going to have something that you give up to gain the other thing. What those are going to be for the advancements that we're seeing, what those are going to be for implementation of Bitcoin and its and its various applications in society, we have really yet to see. We can guess. But I think that what Bitcoin represents more so than automation or AI or anything like that is this idea of freedom for the individual and their ability to chart their own course. Because when you control your own money, when you control your own mind, when you are able to interact freely 
Well, that's a game changer. It's a game changer for despotic regimes trying to um, use the power that they have on the financial system to be able to inhibit individuals' ability to speak with each other, to support one another. Or in the past, you could do that. Or in the past, you could do that very easily. Whereas now, all you really need is a way to connect up with the internet or some sort of mesh network or receive a satellite signal. And you can have financial freedom. I'm very excited to see where this goes. I'm very excited to see where uh, Bitcoin takes us. And I'd really love to hear your thoughts on where you think this is going to go. So feel free to reach out. Go to Facebook, Instagram, go to Twitter. Um, I interact mostly on Twitter, uh, just mostly just because I, 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 like, I, like, uh, I like the layout. I like the ability to, to interact a lot better than, than the way Facebook's interface is. But I'm up on all those platforms. You can find all of the you know, different uh, ways to get a hold of me. Uh, whether it's email, Twitter, anything like that, at didyouknowcrypto.com. That's didyouknowcrypto.com. Feel free to go on there, follow me, DM me. DMs are open. You can email me or message me at any time. I'd really uh, appreciate it if you go over to iTunes once again, leave a review, and also head over to didyouknowcrypto.com slash eToro to check out eToro, my first official sponsor. Show them some love, sign up, try it out. I am, you know... I am allowing them to be a sponsor because I'm vouching for them. I, um, you know, because I believe and I know that they are trustworthy, and uh, you can trade with confidence. You can trust them with. Every, they predate Bitcoin. They're not a fly by night um, exchange or anything like that. So head head over to digitocrypto.com/etoro. That's etoro. Digitocrypto.com/etoro. But most of all, I'd like to thank you for listening, for subscribing. You guys make it all worthwhile, and uh, you make this all possible. So a big thanks to you. Please make yourselves known. Say, hey, you know, you, you know that I listen to the podcast and everything like that. I'd love to hear from you guys. I'd love to get to know you, right? I don't want you just to be um, anonymous numbers on uh, on my subscriber counts. So I'd really love to hear from you guys. So uh, hit me up on whatever platform um, you prefer. So have a great day, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. 